Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast and the Class. Breakfast and the Class today has been sponsored and dedicated for the speedy and complete refuah of Yitzchak ben Miriam, sponsored anonymously. As well, dedicated in loving memory and Liluna Shmat, Eliyahu ben Aharon, sponsored by Shiva Barzilai. Also, today we have uh, with us a dedication in loving memory of Arlene Tabeli Braha, Aliyah Shalom Liluna Shmat, Hanabat Leha, sponsored by the Ajmi family. And finally, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. We would like also to dedicate today's class, um, and in fact, all the classes this week, we'd like to dedicate Lilu Nishmat, Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein, who uh, has fought for all the needs of the Jewish people for so long, and unfortunately, yesterday morning passed away, and he left us uh, in a much worse state than we were only one day ago, uh, without this unbelievable advocate for the Jewish people, uh, a, a steamboat, a, uh, a freight train, he plowed through every and any uh, difficulty or obstacle in order to be able to do the right thing for his schools, for all the countless people he did chesed for. Um, uh, our family uh, is uh, personally aware of how hard he worked in so many different arenas. And um, we, we, uh, we wish his family nechama. And of course, they are currently burying him in Eretz Israel. We are, uh, we are like a, a ship without its captain. And uh, it means that all of us need to work double as hard in order to be able to, uh, to lift what was already being lifted by such a, a dedicated and great man. My friends, there's a line that keeps coming up in the parasha again and again and again and again. And Rashi always one to notice when there seems to be something afoot, maybe perhaps an extra word, an extra sentence, something especially that happens repeatedly. Uh, Rashi notices it immediately and comments. The Pasuk says, In front of a blind person, do not put a stumbling block. You shall fear your God. I am Hashem your God. And it does this many times throughout the parasha. You shall fear your God. Ani Hashem, I am God. Rashi says, what's the pasuk saying? This thing, it's not given over to the creations, to the people of this world, to know, to know exactly what your intentions are. We don't know what you meant, what you're trying to do. The person you're hurting doesn't know you're trying to hurt them. So whenever the, that is the case, where it is only between you and yourself whether or not you did the right thing, therefore the Pasuk says, Are you not scared of getting caught? You best be scared of God. Anytime something is up to and is hidden in the heart of a person, Ne'emar Bo, Yaret Melkichat says, You shall fear Hashem your God. Ani Hashem. There used to be, before television shows, there were radio shows. I don't know if you guys even know what that was. Some of us are old enough to remember that there were serial shows on the radio. 
Anyone remember that? David, you old enough? You with me? Uh, Bobby, old enough? Yeah? No? Shy? No? I don't think any of you, I don't think any of you are even nearly old enough. Do you remember this? There was a show on the radio called The Shadow. And the introductory part to the show, you can find it online, was who knows what evil lurks in the hearts and minds of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> That's how it started, okay? The shadow knows. And the shadow was a crime fighter. <laughs> who knows? Everything that goes in the hearts and minds of men. I thought to myself as I listened, because I'm just this weird, as I listened to the thing, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a show about Hashem. Because we always talk about being bitzilo, bitzel el, in the shadow of God. <laughs> Who's the shadow who knows what's going on in your heart and knows what's going on in your mind? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? So we're in Hashem's shadow. <laughs> He's the shadow. I want to share with you something magnificent on this pasuk because I think it's actually amazing. If a person were to look in the Sefer HaChinuch or the book of the Harambam, you'd see a remarkable thing. What does it mean that you should not place a stumbling block in front of a blind person? Anyone know? Rashi quotes Al Chachamim, where it says, Lo titen. What does it mean? Don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind man. Lo titen lo lo. Don't give him advice which is not appropriate for him. Al Tomar, don't tell this blind guy, Mechor sadecha, sell you a field, hamor, and buy a hamor. Go get yourself a donkey instead of the field. Meanwhile, why are you giving him this advice? To move from real estate to transportation, right? Hamuber, hamuber, yeah, why? As soon as the guy sells it to this other guy for the donkey, what do you do? You swoop in and you buy the field. So this blind guy, he doesn't know what's going on in his life. He's not sure what's happening, Right? You, you can't put a stomach box. Says the Gemara, no. Says the, says the, uh, the Sifri, no. It doesn't mean a guy who can't see physically. It means a guy who can't see his own circumstance. The guy doesn't know the real estate market. His mother just died. He inherits a home. And you want that home. So what do you come and you tell him, look, I know you inherited this home, but housing prices are falling. You better get rid of that home. In this thing, the guy's a blind guy. The Isur of Lot Bifnei Verotemichol is don't trick him. There's a girl you want to marry. This guy's dating her. Don't come to him and say, look, you know, I found out. She did this, she went there, she said this, she's like that. Meanwhile, what do you want? You want them to break up so you could swoop in and be Mr. Right. This idea of don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind man means a person who's blind in that thing. Clear? So we've expanded the definition of the Pasuk. But what is remarkable about this Pasuk and in the teachings of our rabbis is that it's clear from Sefer HaChinuch and the Harambam that if you actually, if you were to physically go to Home Depot and type in stumbling block and it gave you a big square thing made by stumbling block trademark and you got this stumbling block and you looked and you waited on the street until you found the guy walking, tapping with his stick. And you put the physical stumbling block 
in front of an actual blind man, expecting to get written up on a ticket in Shamaim 4, Lefne Iver Lotite Metrol, Rambam, Chinuch, and others, it's Miduyak, that you do not transgress the sin for that. And the question is obvious. You know, there's many ways of learning in Torah. In fact, at least four. Pardes. What is Pardes? What is the orchard of Torah? Pardes stands for Pshat, Remez, Dirush, Sod. Pshat means a straightforward understanding of the Pasuk. That's usually what comes first. Remez means you learn from here a hint to something else. Drush means a drasha. You expounded from here. You learned the whole understanding, a deeper concept in what's going on. And finally, Sod is Al-Pikavala, the secrets of Torah. It's always interesting to me that the Sfaradim and Ashkenazim have different ways of learning Halakha. And primacy in Ashkenaz, in Halakha, is given to the Halakha. And in Sfaradi, a lot of the Halakhot are decided based Al-Pi, Kabbalah, we do many things. I'll pick up. I'll give you one example. Let's say you go outside, you want to do Bekata Levana, there's a thin cloud blocking. You could see the moon clearly, but there's a thin cloud, a misty cloud in front of the moon. Ashkenazim, no problem. Go for it. Don't lose it. Sefaradim, don't make the Beracha. Where does that come from? It's Al Pisod. Okay, according to Kabbalah. And I always thought how interesting it is that Sefaradim that give primacy in halakha to Kabbalah is hidden in the actual name. Sfarad is Sod, Pshat, Remesh, Derush. Fascinating. So we've actually expressed the, the hierarchical pre, um, predecessor, if you will, in, uh, in the name itself. Now that's cute. But to me, you know what's interesting? Even if you want to learn the highest levels of Kabbalah, the deepest understanding of Darush, the finest, uh, you know, intuitive practices of Remez, we have a, a, klal, a rule in Torah. And the rule is, En ha-mikra pishuto. Which means, if the Pasuk says something, its simple meaning has to come first. You never lose the simple meaning of the verse. So how is it over here that the Gemara decided, excuse me, that uh, the Rishonim decided that if you actually stumbled, you know, you forced a stumble of a blind man, you don't fulfill the Avera. You're not Hakam. How did they do that? That's a simple interpretation. And the Pasuk never leaves its simple interpretation. How did they know that this case was different? Rav Blach in his Sefer Penine Da'at says something unbelievable. He says, you know how they knew? You know how they knew that the simple pshat over here didn't fit? Because our Chachamim explained on this pasuk, Hashem. You shall fear God. I'm, I'm Hashem. And the Gemara expressed on that pasuk that every time something is masur lalev, that no one else knows what you did. Only you know what you did. Only you know if you did the right thing or the wrong thing. Only you know your intentions. Correct? It says those words. If you place an actual stumbling block in front of a blind guy, the blind guy might not see, but everybody else can see. Therefore, it could not have been 
that the actual simple pshat is included in the pasuk if this is where we make the derasha. Is that clear? It had to be euphemistic. It had to be describing when you give someone bad advice on a deal that he can't see. When you give him information on a family when he's in process and you really have ulterior motives. Because that only you know. I'll give you another example. You know where else it says this concept of me being Hashem? Fear me. It talks about it when it comes to taking revenge. Bearing a grudge. Let's say someone says to you today, um, I ask you to borrow your car. You say no. Are you entitled to say no? Yeah, it's your car. You don't have to lend someone something just because he asked. Said no. The next day, you forget your car. You ask me if you could borrow my car. Am I entitled to say no? 100%. Am I allowed to say no because you said no? That's revenge. You know what else I'm not allowed to do? I'm also not allowed to tell you. Actually, yes, you could borrow my car. Because that's what human beings do. They lend things that they are not using. That passive aggressive, yeah, I remember what you did. I'm going to make you feel it. Loti kom says the pasuk, ve loti tor. Don't take revenge and don't bear a grudge. Bearing a grudge means I lent you the object, but I let you feel like a tuchus. Okay? Asur. Who knows why you said no or why you said yes? Only you and God. I'm allowed to say no with no other attached feelings. I'm allowed to say yes with no other attached feelings. But I can't say no because you said no. And I can't say yes even though you said no. You see? Who knows? Only God. So I want to share with you something that I found so interesting. In fact, Harambam discusses this exact concept. He says, where do we have the concept of Kiddush Hashem and Chilul Hashem? Sanctification of God's name or profaning of God's name. So everyone knows the classic case. You do something wrong in public, Chilul Hashem. You could, you know, your person looks at you and says, look at these Jews, look at how terrible they are, their religion is all a bunch of lies, etc., etc. Chilul Hashem. What's Kiddush Hashem? Kiddush Hashem is, I'll never forget, <laughs> the singing children of Jesus. <laughs> I was on vacation with my wife, we were in the, uh, the Grand Canyon. It was our last stop before we were going back to the airport. We had a trunk full of food. I thought to myself, I'm gonna throw this all in the garbage? How can it be? And then all of a sudden this bus pulls up. <laughs> the singing children of Jesus. Of course that bus pulls up right next to the rabbi. Because Hashem is just, he has the best sense of humor, right? So anyway, I pop the trunk, and as they're getting off this bus, I'm open, I've opened my trunk, and I'm giving people, this one gets an ice cream from my cooler, this one gets a sandwich, this one gets a piece of cake. I'm literally giving them food as they're getting off the bus. And it's about two or three people in that I realize I'm still wearing my baseball cap. So I make sure to take off my baseball cap. Every guy gets off, I'm 
fluffing my kippah, twirling my tzitzit, like you understand? Making sure that they know there's a Jewish guy and this Jewish guy from that other religion, you know, he's being a mensch. That's classic understanding Kiddush Hashem, right? Do something publicly that makes God look good, that makes Judaism look good. But Rambam actually says, paradoxically, you know where you make Kiddush Hashem Chil Hashem? Where people watching. You know where else where you make Kiddush Hashem Chil Hashem? Where no one's watching. Says Harambam, you do a mitzvah and no one in the world will know that you've done it. Only you and God. There's no one in your apartment on Shabbat. You're desperate to check the score and it's on the wrong channel. So you mosey on over to the TV, you get at your trusty elbow, <laughs> and you fall against the TV in a strategic location. Who knows that you did that? Only Hashem. That's a chilul Hashem says, Harambam. Because you have a chance in, in, in your private space to do something. And of course, everybody has to be on their level, right? where they're at, what would be a mitzvah for them, which would be a avera for them, because you can't jump levels, it doesn't work. But where you're at, where you should know better, only you're going to find out. And you think to yourself, you know, who cares? No one's going to see. That's a, that's a chilul Hashem, says Rambam. That's a kiddush Hashem. You're doing tzedakah, no one will see that you did tzedakah. In fact, the poor guy got up to go pee. His cup is still there. You don't wait for him to come back. You just stick the dollar in. He doesn't know. Nobody knows. Nobody's watching. There's no CCTV camera footage. Kiddush Hashem, says Arambam. Because in this world, you showed that it matters that God, that God knows, that God sees. It matters what I do. You shall fear. That is fear of God right there. By the way, Yirat Shamayim doesn't have so easy to come by. Those moments are the moments. You know how you know what level you're actually on? How do you act when no one's looking? My friends, so I want to end with one last piece from uh, the Penine Da'at that I found fascinating. And I'm going to read you the words of Rashi. Don't commit an encourage of justice. Don't lift up the face of the poor. What does that mean? It means if you're a judge in a court case, don't say, you know what? I'm going to rule like this guy, Hazi. He needs the money. Rich guy can afford it. Even though he's right, I'm going to rule in favor of the poor guy. Let him give him $100. Not going to make a difference in his bank account anyway. Poor guy, it's going to make a huge difference. Rich guy, you don't even care. He doesn't, the $100, he doesn't care. You ever see these cases that they have in the media where these billionaires or millionaires, they sue uh, a newspaper for defamation, and then when they win this massive case that could have been millions of dollars, how much do they sue for? They sue for $1. They spend millions in legal fees, why? just to say it's not about money. And what do they win when they win? $1. And then they give that dollar to tzedakah. Okay. Velote edad penegadol. And do not, don't be mehader 
the face of someone gadol, who's wealthy, who's important. Don't decide. So now, I want to read you the words of Rashi, because this is so instructive. Lotisa, tomar. A person shouldn't say, Ani He's so poor. You know what? Anyway, the rich guy, he's going to be obligated to help the poor guy because of the mitzvot of tzedakah. Azakenu bedin. You know what? Instead of him giving him tzedakah, letting him feel like a dib, I'm going to tell him that he owes him the money. Now the guy, he's going to get, he'll get parnasa easy. It feels, it feels good. It feels, he doesn't have to ask or beg. He owes him the money. Yani, Okay? And don't show favor to the rich, powerful people. You should not say, He's rich. Hazit disguised the son of the chief rabbi. How am I going to embarrass him publicly? And I'm going to see him uh, be humiliated. There's a punishment for this. Says Rabbi Bloch something unbelievable. It's interesting to note that when you give the reason, why would you make the poor guy win? He gives a positive reason. What's his reason? His reason is, uh, look, the guy's poor. He's, I don't want, I'm just going to save him the embarrassment of needing to beg. Let me tell the rich guy he owes him the money. So he just gives a straightforward positive reason. When it comes to being mizakeh, to letting the chief rabbi's son win the court case, right? What does Rashi say? He doesn't say it in a positive way. He says, Hech avayishenu boshto. How could I embarrass him? How come he gives a positive reason in the first case? How could I do that? I can't do that. And a negative one in the second. And Rabloch says something unbelievable. He says there are certain things that make logical sense. Certain sins. Like you could come up with a good reason, a good justification for it. Makes sense. When it comes to logical things, what does the Yetzirah do? He gives you the logic. But when it comes to an illogical thing, who in their right mind would make the rich guy win the case when the poor guy clearly needs it so much more? The Yetzirah needs to do backflips in order to make you feel like that which is illogical is the right choice. So what does he do? He can't fight you on the logical playing field. So what does he do? How can I do this? How can I make this guy feel bad? He comes up with so many different interesting theories that actually don't hold water. And my friends, you know what I learned from this? It's a deep idea. Maybe it'll take a little time to sink in. If you listen to your own Yetzirah, you can determine what the right thing to do is based on what kind of excuses you find yourself making. If the excuses are against logic and you find, how am I going to do that? Can't believe, no, I can't do that. That's a, like as an example, right? Let's say a person's coming late to shul. He says to himself, you know, if I walk in now, it's going to be a big chilul Hashem, you know, it's going to disrupt the whole shul, bet I should stay in. I already missed a little bit of tefillah, I should sleep the whole day. That makes no sense. So what does Yetzirah do? He starts throwing illogical reasons. And when it comes out as a question, what am I going to do that? How can I do that? Those illogical questions 
or because he has no sh- real ground. That's how you know what the right thing to do is. Whereas when it comes to something logical, the Yetzirah is always going to give you the opposite side of the spoon. Now, my friends, I want to end, like I said, with this idea in mind. Every single time this word is used, it's masur lalev, nobody knows. We learn from this, my friends, that each and every one of us have a tremendous obligation, a tremendous obligation to slowly but surely wean ourselves off of the dependencies we have on others in order to do the right thing. If you go to a good school, a good yeshiva, you're in a good surroundings, that's a wonderful thing. It's going to mean that you're going to do better. But it also creates a crutch that you're relying on. You're in a good synagogue. Everyone comes to shul. You also come to shul. But how much of that is coming from you? Sometimes a person can slowly begin to develop an approach to Judaism, which is peer-based. They used to have Napster. Remember that? That crazy covenant. It was called peer-to-peer networks. Right? Everybody's relying on everybody else stealing something so that they could steal something. Must be all right. Everybody's doing it. Of course it's good. Of course it's cool. Don't let your Judaism have anything to do with anybody else. Of course it helps to have a good environment and we should seek that out. But we need to be aware in our heart of hearts what is really motivating us. And you know when we get to see if that's the right decision to choose to seek out a good environment? How do we get to know? We get to know in those rare moments when nobody's watching. Suddenly we see. If you ever had a boiler in your house and you need to know how much water is in the boiler, you can't see it, right? How do you know how much boiler is, how much water is in the boiler? There's this little tiny window and it has a tiny ball in it. And if it's here, it means it's low. And if it's here, it means that you have the mid- a medium amount full. And if it's here, it means that it's the top. What that is, is a tiny microcosm that explains in that tiny little chamber, it tells you how much water is in the entire boiler. So too, when those moments arise in our life, that little tiny snapshot, when I'm alone in my apartment on Shabbat, when nobody's watching if I prayed, if I skipped, if I had intention when I prayed, where the Ani is asking me and nobody's looking and there's no plaque, how did I act? How did I react? That tiny thing allows you to see where you're actually holding. May Hashem bless us to have a true heart, a correct spirit, to be the best that we can be. Kiddush Hashem in private. Kiddush Hashem in public. Be'ezat Hashem me'ata ve'ad olam.